Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 208 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episode, we provide an introduction to bikepacking. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Bikepacking can be best considered as an allied form of backpacking. Instead of walking your chosen route on foot, you undertake your journey with the aid of a bike, often travelling the same off-road trails but at a different speed and seeing the landscape in a different way. Bikepacking is best compared to ultralight hiking on two wheels and is essentially a stripped back version of road touring or bike touring where only the essential gear is carried rather than the loaded down bikes often associated with road touring. In this podcast episode, we provide an introduction to bikepacking and the opportunities that it affords, taking you through some of the gear basics and looking at why it's an option worth considering. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so first up, why bike pack? Over the past seven years, I've pretty much walked every designated trail within the Canberra region. And while there is still a small handful I revisit on a regular basis, the ability to do longer hikes requires me to think outside the box and create my own adventures. Or approach pre-existing trails in a different way. And one option is bike packing. Riding a trail by bike uh, that you've previously walked provides a whole new perspective. As you travel at a faster pace, you usually cover larger distances in shorter time frames. In addition, I find that when I'm riding a push bike, whether it's on an urban area or on trail, it helps use a whole different set of muscles, and as a result, my hiking adventures also benefit. If I'm organised, cycling forms part of my fitness regime as I lead into longer distance hikes, and doing this on trail keeps the interest high. Now let's go through and look at some of the equipment basics. Now I must own up here, I don't claim to be an expert on bikepacking. This is an activity that I only do from time to time, just to provide a bit of interest and keep me uh, active and fit in circumstances where I wouldn't necessarily have an opportunity to get out and hike. This episode is more about how I've managed to get into bikepacking and the pros and cons and the considerations that I have to look at every time I go out on, on trail. The first thing we'll go through and look at is equipment. If you've ever seen cyclists doing long distance road touring, uh, you'll often be amazed at the amount of gear that they will carry on their, their bikes. And, and they're still able to move up those hills <laughs> as I speed past in my car. <laughs> I think it's almost a matter of if you stop, you fall over. <laughs> Um, but yeah, some of the, the road touring bikes, where people have got every square inch of bike frame and rack loaded down with some sort of bag. Now, it pretty much gives them everything they ever want uh, for the trip they're doing, uh, but it also gives them a fairly heavy bike as well. So as mentioned, bikepacking is probably best considered 
to road touring or bike touring uh, as ultralight hiking is considered to just normal hiking. You really are carrying a stripped back set of gear. You're carrying the, the essentials only and you leave the excess at home. Now, there's no reason that you need to go out and spend a lot of money to get into bikepacking. You can pretty much rely on a lot of the gear that you have at home and that you use for hiking and camping. And the first most obvious one here is your bike. Yeah, it's not really bikepacking if you don't have a bike. (laughs) No. Now, from my perspective, the bike I use, and it's shown in the... uh, the, both the podcast and the written uh, written version of this article, I've had for around about 14 years. It is maintained on a, an annual basis. Uh, it's kept in good condition, keep it fairly clean. And from time to time, I'll do an awful lot of biking, uh, whereas other times I don't do a lot. Now, from my perspective, this is something that's only going to be an occasional thing. And it's a bit hard to justify going out and spending two, three, four, five thousand dollars on a a specialist upmarket bike for something that I'd only occasionally do. I bet you put a lot of thought into that though, haven't you, Tim? (laughs) I have. So using the bike that you have at home will generally work for you. Now, if you are going on to dirt trails or management roads, a dedicated road bike may not necessarily be the best option, Uh, but there's certainly no reason you have to go full on and buy the most expensive bike you have. And I think a lot of times these days that a lot of people will have a mountain bike or a hybrid bike as opposed to the old narrow-wheeled racing bikes that people used to have. And this is something I remember as a, as a teenager. That was what I had at that stage. My only complaint about my current bike is it could probably do with a softer seat. It has got a mountain biking <laughs> seat on it as opposed to a racing seat, uh, but I still would appreciate something a bit softer. And there's no way you're going to be allowed to buy those bike pants with um, gel inserts. That That's out. That's, yeah. <laughs> now, working through the basics as far as equipment's concerned, and there are a few pieces of gear that you do need. It's very much like hiking. You've got to consider how you're going to carry everything that you're taking with you. And the first most obvious thing is water. You can, can carry water bottles, and in fact, the bag options that I've got would allow for that to occur. Uh, but I, I, the, some of the areas that I go to don't have access to refill water on a regular basis. Uh, and as a result, I prefer to carry a water bladder, uh, which is what I do when I hike. And in that situation, I will carry a dedicated hydration pack with a two or, lead, two or three litre pack on my back. Um, you certainly don't want to be carrying a large full-on hiking pack when you're bikepacking. Really, from my perspective, hydration pack is what I use most of the time. Uh, but occasionally, I will, if I need to or need to have extra carrying capacity, I'll use one of the smaller day packs that I own. Really, in my, my case, I'm carrying my water bladder and I'm carrying my things like wallet, my wallet and my keys. Uh, and that's about it. There's nothing else that really tends to go into my hydration pack, uh, which has a small pocket on the front of it. Um, It really is about the water and the wallet, and that's about it. From here, we move on to uh, gear baggage. And the first and most obvious one for me is the handlebar bag. 
This is a waterproof bag that straps across the handlebars and in my case carries the bulk of my equipment. My handlebar bag carries my tent, my sleeping bag, my sleeping mat, my stove and my sleeping bag liner. Pretty much the bulk of the camping equipment goes in this bag that sits on the handlebars. Yeah, that's quite a bit of gear that you you fit into there and it's long enough to accommodate the tent poles as well. Obviously, the tent poles are broken down, but yeah. The bag I've got, uh, the manufacturer actually shows a picture of it on a set of curved handlebars. And now the, the limitation there is it is going to limit how fully you can pack your bags. The width, the yeah. Width, the width across here. Whereas in the case of my handlebars, they're straight. Uh, so the bag actually goes virtually full width from one side to the other. It needs to be set up in such a way that it's not going to impact on your brakes and your gears and also the, the lighting, which we'll get onto in a moment. The next bag, which is uh, which I tend to use, is a frame bag. And this is a, a almost a triangular-shaped bag that sits under the, the top crossbar and also connects back to the upright frame that comes from the pedals. Uh, and these come in varying sizes and shapes, and certainly if you're looking at these, you do need to sort of go through and measure the distances of your frames to see what you can actually fit in. Um, small is easy, uh, going too big, and if it doesn't fit onto your frame of your bike, isn't going to be much help. Now, for me, my frame bag goes through and covers all my food, and that's pretty much what I store in there. And I use a uh, the size frame bag I use is eight liters, and that will comfortably fit three to four days with a food in there, including my meals and my snacks. Now, I'll be honest here, I don't often uh, do those sort of distances. Really, two to three days is often the case uh, that I tend to go through and be doing. The capacity is there if I want to go through and do a longer sort of trip. From here, we start getting a bit more specialised, and this is a uh, the next my next bag of choice is a phone mount bag. And this goes on the top crossbar of the bike. It allows me to, it's got a, a clear plastic cover, so it means I can actually see and access my phone uh, while it's protected. So if I'm using it for maps or if I uh, want to access something, I don't have to actually take it out of the, uh, the bag to do it. Just make sure you don't text and ride. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I must admit, I think it's, you know, putting the plastic cover on the front of it does tend to slow it down. It's not as fast as uh, just having a, a bare phone and, and uh, with bare fingers. Uh, but, it, you know, in, in the case of uh, one of the trips I'll talk about in a moment, being able to access the map, uh, the online map, just makes things much easier. This little uh, pack also cover, carries my voice recorder uh, for doing podcasting if I'm using it. It carries my battery uh, pack if I need to charge anything up. And it also carries things like earbuds and anything electronic. It's not an overly huge container. It does come with a little small uh, rain cover, just in case the rain does get a bit heavy rather than just being spot, spotting rain. Uh, but again, it, it, it all keeps that, that electronic gear all in one little location. And last but not least, as far as baggage is concerned, and again, we're moving backwards on the bike here, is my bike rack bag. Now they come through with different names and different from different companies, but for me this is a probably the dearest bag that I've gone through and purchased. Uh, the bag that I chose is over two hundred dollars, but it does 
a number of things and provides a quite a bit of versatility. It's really a carry bag, so it can come off the, the bike rack. It's got a number of inserts inside it that's designed to lock camera frames and camera lenses and, and bodies in place. Uh, so, yeah, if you're into doing biking and you want to be able to carry your expensive camera gear, this is certainly a good option. From my perspective, that's not something typically that I'll go through and do. But what I end up doing is this is my essentially my clothing bag. Uh, it carries uh, my sleeping gear uh, as far as a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. It carries my uh, puffy jacket and it carries my rain gear. Uh, and this is where I also put my first aid gear as well. And that, that sits on the top. So it's easy just to stop if need be, unzip the top and get the first aid gear out or whatever piece of clothing that I need. If you have a look at the written version of this uh, podcast, uh, you'll see that there's a, a side, what looks like a side pocket, and in fact that's what it is. It's actually a set of collapsible panniers, uh, and these are, you open it up, the hard outer shell on the bag actually rests against the, uh, uh, the frame of the, uh, uh, the rack, and then there's the soft uh, waterproof material that's actually a set of panniers if that's what you want to use. Typically, from my perspective, I don't bother with it. Uh, they're there as extra storage, but otherwise uh, they are there to be used if you want to carry extra gear. Uh, and that, you know, realistically, the bags are probably, the, the panniers are probably around about six to eight litres in size. Uh, so that would allow you to carry quite a bit of extra gear if that's what you need to go through and do. Moving away from the baggage side of things, we're moving on to headlamps and taillights. A lot of the training that I do is often early in the morning, so it's not unusual for me to be out at five o'clock in the morning on my bike. You really do. That's when people ride bikes, isn't it? it, it oh, is. sorry, that's when older men ride bikes. Um, yeah, and because I am going on roads around the neighbourhood, um, I do have a flashing rear tail light. I do have a front light that actually uh, allows me to see where I'm going. Otherwise, you're pretty much invisible to cars. Uh, so really, from a safety perspective, you need to be seen and also to see as well. While I've got a dedicated headlight, which is quite powerful, it's sort of the, the one I use is around about 400 to 800 lumens. So you know, it's not quite a headlight of a car, but it is pretty powerful and provides, it provides a pretty good beam. One thing I do find is that if it's been a while since I've ridden my bike and I forget which way the gear levers need to go, I find that having a headlamp is often a better option because where you look with the headlamp is where the light goes, whereas on a, a, a headlight, a mounted headlight, it's pointed in one direction and that's it. Um, and I, I will own up here and say that I had, the uh, first time I used this light, I, it had been a while since I'd used my bike. I clicked the gears the wrong direction, and instead of end up being uh, in gear number one, I ended up in gear number twenty-four. Uh, <laughs> so and walking up a hill. Yeah, and walking up a hill. Thank, <laughs> thankfully, I didn't have to. It was only a short hill, but I changed coming, uh, changed gears just to make it easier going up, and I changed in the wrong direction. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's more about familiarity with my gear system than anything else. Uh, but yeah, having having the ability to 
see the gear numbers and just to promptly which is the right direction. That's where a headlight does come in a bit handy. But yeah, I think uh, certainly if you're on a uh, a long road, uh, a long management road, the mounted headlights are a good option. Now let's look at the advantages and disadvantages of bike packing, and this is in relation to hiking. So in relation to the advantages, you get to see familiar trails in a different light. You cover bigger distances in a shorter time frame. It uses different muscles than you normally would do when you go hiking. And from my perspective, as I said, I find that cycling tends to, uh, because you are in a, in a locked-in position, you know, your legs are going around in a, uh, as you pedal in, a, in one particular uh, motion, they're, they're, they're almost forced to be into the correct position. And as a result, I find that I tend to build up my calves quite strongly when I am going through and uh, cycling. And I know when, my, when I did the Bibbleman track, cycling was one of my main forms of exercise, uh, apart from hiking itself, uh, and that made a big difference to my leg strength and mobility. Now, there are certainly disadvantages. If you are into uh, the little stuff close to the ground, so things like orchids or uh, the small sundews or insects, uh, if you're on a bike traveling at speed, you're unlikely to see a lot of the smaller stuff. Yeah, that's the reason why I'm not doing this with you, Tim. <laughs> at least that's one of them. Uh, now, not all trails are suitable uh, to uh, for bike packing, uh, and there are some of the trails, hiking trails, that prohibit the use of wheeled vehicles so as to stop the spread of soil-borne diseases. Um, so while it's it's possible to use bikes in some areas, it's not always the case, and you'll need to check with your local national park whether that's the case or not. If you look at trails like, say, in Western Australia where there's the Bibbleman Track, which we I've done previously, there's also a cycling or bikepacking version of it, which is called the Mundabidi. Uh, there are some crossover areas where the trail forms common uh, common trail tread, uh, but otherwise there's also a lot of trail on the Mundabidi that is dedicated and set out by itself, and they also have their own set of huts designed around travelling at a different speed. The other thing you've got to be very conscious of as well is, uh, and, and I suppose I'd probably say best here, a sense of balance. I have been in a situation where uh, in my local area I was uh, riding on relatively flat ground, going up and down a series of inclines, and then I came to a steep decline and I had my brakes fully on, both back and front, and I was going downhill at around about 20 kilometres an hour. Um, I just had no ability to stop. As I said, my brakes were fully on, uh, and certainly uh, I didn't start going fast, uh, it was just I was picking up speed as I was going down this hill. So in that sort of instance, uh, uh, it was a learning curve for me uh, that if I'm going down a, a really steep uh, dirt hill with a lot of small rocks on it, uh, it's often a better choice to get off and walk um, simply so you've got a bit more control uh, and you can maintain control over what you're doing. Well, unless you're really experienced at it as well, and that's the other thing I can't think with all of this, that, um, you know, the... The, the bike needs to suit you, what you carry needs to suit you, and the trail needs to suit you. So I suppose as a final thought on this, bikepacking 
really can be as simple as an overnight trip or a longer multi-day adventure. The only limitation is your fitness, your imagination, and your desire. From my perspective, bikepacking is never going to replace hiking as my outdoor activity of choice, but it is something that provides an alternate adventure, uh, as well as an option for seeing familiar trails in a different light and helping you build up fitness in a different way. So whether you choose to think about bikepacking as an option or whether you think this is not for me, that's certainly fine. And as I said, from my perspective, this is something that I'm only ever going to do on rare occasions uh, and probably once or twice a year in many, many cases. Uh, But certainly the, the training aspect of using the bike is something that certainly does help build up my fitness. And I think being able to do it on a trail just adds a bit of interest rather than than riding around the suburbs. So from this podcast episode, next the next episode is going to be a follow-up episode. And this is going to be a series of recordings of an on-trail trip that I have planned for this coming, and I say I'm I do say planned uh, for this coming weekend. Uh, the weather forecast is not looking great. And I while I don't mind a bit of rain. If the weather is really bad, I'll end up pushing it off to the week after. Uh, but certainly my plan is to ride at least a large section of the Canberra Centenary Trail. Uh, and this is a trail that is a multi-use trail designed for bikepacking as well as for hiking. It was originally designed or built uh, during the stage of one of our previous chief ministers who was a keen cyclist. And as a result, it really is more based around a cycling type of trail because there is only one hut on this trail, uh, and this is a trail that's 145 kilometres long. So really with the Canberra Centenary Trail, if I could do 75 kilometres in a day comfortably, and I've never done that before, so I'm I'm not quite sure, um, I would be able to do this in two days and make access of the single on-trail shelter that's available. Uh, or the alternative is to do an overnight, uh, do another section, get picked up partway along the way, come back and continue on again the next day. What I end up doing is going to be a bit of um, trial and error on this trail, simply because of the distance. Uh, while I'm quite comfortable in doing 20 or 30 or 40 kilometres in a day, this will be the first time that I've ever tried to do big distances, and I'll see how I go. So the on-trail recordings will give me give an indication of how the trip went and what what I potentially should have done uh, based on the real life trip as it goes. So keep an eye out for that in the next podcast episode. That's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed this introduction into bikepacking. Bye for now. And bye from me.